Thank you for meditating upon it. Thank you for that, Sister Mary. And thank you for today to be gathered together. Thank you to come to that scene of Calvary. Help us not to take that for granted. As I watched the Ten Commandments last night and it had that scene of Moses before the burning bush. Moses, Moses, remove the shoes from off your feet. For the ground whereupon you stand is holy ground. Oh, might we come to that center cross this morning and lift up our eyes and behold him who on that cross didn't resemble a human being. The one, the lover of our soul. The one who sunk in such deep mire where we'll never comprehend, Lord Jesus. There's no language to side of glory that can describe the depths of suffering and agony that you endured for us, that we might be here today. Sometimes our, our thanksgivings fall so short, Lord, but we thank you that your spirit offers them before thee. Father, be pleased with our service today. Lead us all out. Draw from every heart praise and worship that is so deserving to thee. It might be for your honor and glory. There's one last thing that I'd like to just read very briefly from one of my favorite preachers, Mr. Thank you. I wish we had more Marys who would break the alabaster box of precious ointment upon his dear head. Oh, for a little extravagance of love, a little fanaticism of affection for him. For he deserves 10,000 times more than the most enthusiastic ever dreamt, ever dreamed of rendering. Amen. Just for your information, men, that Brother Marcus is not a feminist. In case you were gathering that from his reference to only woman would be anointing the Lord. Anyway, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. And we're going to read just the first five verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Let us stand in reverence for the word of God as I read. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as, as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear 
that somehow the tempter had tempted you in our labor be in vain. You may be seated and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. This message is going to be on the subject of lead us not into temptation. We just read about Paul's concern having left the Thessalonians behind what was transpiring in his absence. But I want to, before we get into it, I would like to give you an updated, my version of what we just read, so that you can maybe get a better sense of what was going on in the mind of the author and what his concerns were about those that he was writing to. Listen to a paraphrased version of my take on what we just read out of the English Standard Version. We were in agony and couldn't stand it any longer. We had to know what was going on with you, brothers and sisters. It was driving us crazy. We finally decided to part with Timothy. Even though we wanted him by our side, you meant that much to us, so we were willing to stay alone in Athens. We couldn't have sent a better servant and representative of Jesus Christ to see you settled and informed about what it means to be a Christ follower. We were trusting God that the heavy trials you would be going through wouldn't throw you for a loop. After all, this is what you should have expected. There's no getting around it. We must suffer. You're going through it now and therefore know firsthand what we told you that shouldn't be a surprise and what it's like to be a Christian. But knowing how the devil works and how he operates, it's not beyond his evil intents to gain the upper hand over you. His crafty ways of tempting God's people to cause them to stumble and lose their joy and peace is a strong reality. I hate to admit it. We want to have a peace of mind where you folks are at and help you in any way we can. Hopefully that gives you a little sense of what was in the mind of Paul. Paul writes to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. Paul here is displaying some degree of anxiety. He was, as we mentioned last week, he was torn away because of the heavy persecution. He had to leave Thessalonica and he had to go to Berea and then later to Athens. And he's writing now back out of concern of what's happened in my absence. He didn't have the advantage of modern technology like we do. He could get instant communication from the Thessalonians to be updated on how well they were doing. He could only imagine what was transpiring, but he had grave concerns that it would be possible that they could be stumbled. Even we as believers, there are things that don't you think come into our lives that can stumble us? Can't we be tempted? Can't we fall? Paul's concerned that his labor there in Thessalonica might have been in vain because of the potential of the tempter, that's the devil himself, to tempt them. Jesus describes in the parable of the sower about the good seed, precious seed that is sown. And it falls in different ground, right? In the first three grounds, we have Satan takes the seed by the wayside and just swishes it away, steals it away, Satan. 
The second seed that falls on rocky ground, where the ground was shallow, there was no depth, therefore it could not spring up well, because the sun, when it rose, it fried, as it were, that plant, and it dried up. And then the third one is the good seed. It's good no matter where it's sown. The good seed falls into what? Among thorns. The thorns grow up and choke the seed, choke the plant. What does that mean? Jesus interprets it for us and tells us it's the cares of the world. Just think of it. Those three things. Satan first taking away the seed. Second, the tribulation and trials that come of life. As the sun represents that, the hot sun that burns it can, can cause it to dissipate. And then thirdly is when the cares of the world. So you've got Satan, then you've got the tribulations, and then you've got the cares of this world. All of them can interfere with the growth of the seed. Paul, too, was a seed sower. He sowed the seed in Thessalonica. It says they received the word with gladness, with power, and with the Holy Spirit. And they were regenerated. And these heathen idolaters were converted and new lives were demonstrated. And they become instantly imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. Plus they were sharing the message of salvation to others and their faith was made known everywhere. But Paul is not uninformed about the craftiness of the devil and what he could do. See, the gospel came in peace and created imitators of us, the apostles, and the Lord. And therefore the Thessalonians became, as we have been reading in the first and second chapter, now the third, they became followers of the Lord, became followers of the apostles, And they became followers of the churches of Judea. Why? Because the churches of Judea experienced heavy persecution from their own countrymen. And the Thessalonians were getting the same kind of battle. They were being beaten. They were being tortured. They were being persecuted by their fellow countrymen. And then lastly, Paul says, you become followers of us as Satan hindered me and us from coming back to you, so you too now are also being tempted and tested and tried by the tempter that could cause you to fall and then our labor would be in vain. These are things that we have to look at a little little closely. Um, what are some of the things that stumble us in, in our Christian walk? Think of all the Christians that you have known in your days of being a Christian, yourself, born again. That's when your life begins, doesn't it, spiritually? Prior to that, the Bible describes us as dead in trespasses and sins. There was no life. We didn't seek after God. We had no aspirations for the things of the Lord. But once you get born again, you're a changed person. You think differently, you live differently, you act differently, and you become estranged from the world and their ways when you were once right in the middle of it one time. And now you're out of it. But you know who's the least happy about your conversion is the devil. And there are different incidents too in life that can occur that can create a stumbling in the life of a believer. For instance, let me give you some practical examples. 
you marry the wrong person. Maybe an unbeliever, that would be tragic. Maybe your marriage goes sour. You have a falling out with your church or a church member. Tragedy or some trauma comes into your life that is unfathomable and you can't process it. Or how about the world that what might allure you back into its lap and give you certain pleasures that may blind you and create a spirit of joy, a false joy. Scripture talks about the deceitfulness of sin. And then, of course, persecution. I think you've all, as born-again people, if you've grown up in a, and, had, and have unsaved family members, they see a difference in you. They know you're different from them. And sometimes that pressure of the difference that comes from their end towards you can be somewhat heavy and make you feel alienated. And the, the devil would use that to try to draw you back maybe into the ways of the world so that you can be more assimilated with them and feel more comfort and you take the pressure of persecution off of you. Well, you know, ironically, the Bible describes believers as we are more than conquerors or overcomers through him that loved us. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God doesn't equip you without what you need to be able to fight and win the battle, to be an overcomer. We're without excuse. We can't blame God that we weren't enabled. We are absolutely enabled. And there are things that we need to comfort us and help us. That's why Paul, in his agonizing over them, and it, it, this is wonderful to think of the kind of compassion Paul had for his converts. He describes himself in 1 Corinthians 4.15 Uh, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul felt a strong bond with the Corinthians and here now with the Thessalonians as if he is a family head and he's looking at his children with compassion and concern. I don't know if you had a mother like I did, but I had a curfew at night and if I was coming in after that, my mother was panicking once a the clock hit, struck 12. Where is he? What's going on? Where did he go? Did he get in an accident? Did something happen? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, Paul is in a similar kind of a state worrying for the Thessalonians. I hope that we can carry that same kind of a burden for each other in the same way. You know, it's one thing to lead a person to Christ, if I can use that expression, but it's another thing to continue and have that person go on and on and on. One of the first songs that I learned from uh, my spiritual father was the song that goes like this. Go on, 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 go on. And it went over and over and over again. The point is, don't turn back. That was the problem, right, with Lot's wife. Get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look back, you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt. And she could not keep her eye. Like Jesus says, no man uh, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Because the kingdom of God, Paul says in Acts, well, it says in Acts 14, 22, Paul and others says that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must through much tribulation. So the Christian life is not an easy life, but there are some benefits to going through trials and persecutions. Luther says something along the lines that, that, that trials and troubles are his best book in the library, in his library. So we should look at that in some ways. It will deepen us. Good theology really comes from a deep relationship with God, and that relationship can be deepened when we have trials and troubles. This is where faith kicks in. Do you have faith? Faith can be enabler to help us overcome what the natural mind of ours perceives as being negative things. And yes, they're not easy to go through when we have a health issue, when we have conflicts in life, when we have setbacks. Those aren't easy to deal with. But that's why we're given faith. Because faith is the substance or the evidence for things not seen. It helps us to be able to get through those times. It wasn't easy for Moses and for Abraham. It says that of Moses that he endured seeing him who was invisible. Explain that. Because the spiritual man, the person who has Christ in, in their life, has spiritual vision to understand spiritual things. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Paul's concerned about the perseverance of the Thessalonians. We couldn't bear it any longer. We were left behind at Athens alone, and we des- desired to send Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Couldn't have sent a better man. What would this better man do? He was a man like the Apostle Paul. He was a man of God. He's called that in Timothy. He had a real heart for the things of God and the people of God. Paul couldn't have sent a better servant to go to the Thessalonians because he described Paul, uh, Timothy in the book of Philippians 2.20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. No one like him who will care for your state, like me, caring for you. And no doubt, I think Silas would be in the same category. What would be the, the purpose of just getting saved and, and, and that's the end? No, being saved is just the beginning of the life of a believer. It's salvation that leads to a life of sanctification, and that should go on all the days of our life. There are common trials of life that everyone faces But then there are specially designed ones of the devil as well. And so Paul is in true concern over them. But Timothy going with hopes that some good would be accomplished. He says for this purpose he's coming what? To establish. ESV says establish and exhort you in your faith. I like the NIV here. To strengthen and to encourage you in your faith. Does anybody need a little strengthening and a little encouraging? I think so. I think we could all could use that. The times are difficult that we're living in. Could be worse and it will be worse someday. But nevertheless, this is why the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Coming to a worship service and giving praise to God, hearing the word of God, having it read and hearing praises 
in songs of glory to the Lord, worshiping Him, that should be very encouraging. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Paul knew that the Thessalonians, though they are commended for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness and hope. They weren't a weak church. These were solid believers. The word came with power. If, you're, if you've been saved, it's because the word's come in power. People that have a wishy-washy conversion can't say that about themselves, that the word came with power. And how is the reading of the word of God to you? Is it life-giving and powerful to you? Are you gaining from the scriptures things that... I, I thank God for the word of God every day because I know without it, I would be off back in the world. It's like the ramp that keeps me on the road and it directs me in the path I should go. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And my understanding is that in some cases on their, the tops of their sandals, they actually had little lights, little torches that would, as they took a step, the light in front of them would be cast so that the shadows would go away, the darkness would go away. So each step they took, light was cast out. And the Bible says that that the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. That's what the Word of God should be doing for us. That's what Paul wanted to see Timothy be able to bring to these struggling possible saints of Thessalonica that were being interfered with by the tactics of the devil to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Verse 3 says, So that no one be moved by these afflictions. Though Satan should buffet, right? Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance, help me out in that words here, let this, that Christ our our helpless estate and and has shed his own blood for our souls. Hallelujah. We don't have to back down. We can endure these things by the power of the Holy Spirit of God within us. You are strengthened in the inward man and can become more strengthened. Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians for them that the Spirit would strengthen them in the inner man and that Christ would be at home with them on the inside. It's so easy to get into the worldly ways in thinking and our natural man becomes too too rational sometimes. I don't like to say that we're irrational people, but we become too worldly-minded and we think too naturally rather than spiritually and how we need to be more like that so that no one be moved by these afflictions. Afflictions can create doubts and worries and concerns and can throw you off track. Well, you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Boy, oh boy, what, what a way of putting it. Hey, sorry you got saved, but this is what you got, man. This is what served in the gospel. Well, no, even in sufferings, it tells us that there was joy. You'll read different times that through your afflictions, you were rejoicing. Paul was in prison and at midnight, him and Bonab- no, him and Silas were praising God at midnight singing. And as a result of their singing, the Philippian jailer busts into the, into the cell and says, what must I do to be saved? 
He must have been, they must have been singing words like we sing. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's ascended on high. What a savior we have in the glory. What hope that one can have if they put faith in Jesus and repent towards God. Wow. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jail, I can imagine how earnest he must have been when he saw the power of God, not just in the earthquake that busted up the prison and would have set the prisoners free, but it was the power of those words that were sung in the song that created the desire. How did he know what must I do to be saved? How did he know that word? The apostles, they must have said something. They must have sung something. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And how good it is that we can take our sorrows and our sadness and in everything giving God thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not for everything, but in everything. So brothers and sisters, when you go through a trial, I know it's hard, but lift up your hands anyway like Job and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all things, we don't have any certainty. Our brother's got an operation coming up in eight days. Don't know what the outcome's going to be. But to God be the glory, he's in charge, and we're going to trust him for whatever lies ahead. Right, brother? Can you say amen? I'm sure you can. For when we were with you, verse 4, he says, we kept telling you, kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. If you don't have any affliction, if you don't feel any suffering, if there's no kind of persecution, maybe we're not like the scripture says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There should be a sense of alienation that we feel from the world because of who we belong to and what it means to be a Jesus follower. And I know in America, it's not that tense. The tension is not that great. But just think of it if someone was converted like in an Orthodox Jewish home where they grew up in the Orthodox Jewish faith and then they get saved. Do you realize the kind of reproach that individual would have or a Muslim who's in a Muslim country that's 99% Muslim and someone expresses faith in Jesus Christ? That's something I just ordered a book yesterday called 40 Days and 40 Days of, of Meditations on Various Modern-Day Martyrs and Modern-Day Events that are taking place in countries like China, Iran, Iraq, and so on around the world. They are our brothers and sisters. They are experiencing what the Thessalonians did, the afflictions that they were going through. So yes, they are tough to bear. You know, we are made of flesh and blood after all. These aren't things that are easy to take. This is why we need the extra unction of the Lord's Spirit and the ministry of brothers and sisters that can minister to us. Think of ministering to somebody sometime that might be down, that might be low, that just needs a pickup, needs a little comfort and exhortation and strengthening that we can provide to one another. And the last verse six, uh, 5 says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer. Again, that's the heart of Paul bursting for them. I really wanted to know what's going on. I really wanted to see you helped. I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter 
had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We talked last week about the tempter, about Satan, as Paul describes in 2.18. We were, we were often ready and willing to come to you, but Satan hindered us from coming to you. Even I, Paul, Satan hindered us. Remember, it says in the first chapter, after they received the word with power, they became imitators of us, Paul's including himself, and of the Lord. What is us? Well, here's an example. Us being Paul had a feeling, a sense of hindrance from the devil, and they are now experiencing the same things. It's interesting how many things they had in common with one another. But remember, we're more than conquerors. And even though the devil, the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we're not the right man on our side. Our striving would be futile. Paul wants to see these Thessalonians help. They were possibly being tempted so greatly by the devil that they could possibly be stumbled and Paul classifies his labor as being in vain. Now, uh, let's not take this wrongly. How could a, a, a laborer like Paul or you or I who preaches or witnesses the gospel to somebody who gets saved, genuinely saved, how could the labor be in vain? The only way it could be conceived to make scriptures harmonize would be to say that the brother or sister has been turned aside. It says about the widow woman in 1 Corinthians 5 that some have turned after Satan. Wow, that's strong language. That a Christian could be turned in a direction that would be on a path of Satan's. That's the kind of power he has. I said last week that because we're imitators of the apostles and of the Lord, let's think a little bit about the Lord's temptation. Was Jesus tempted himself? Did the devil pester him? Did the devil try to interfere with his path? Absolutely did. He had to, he, Jesus had to repeat what Adam and Eve faced in the garden. He's the second man, the Lord out of heaven, the life-giving spirit. Didn't have to have have breath breathed into him. He was the one that would breathe into others. But he too, like they, were tested. They were in the garden. Jesus was in the wilderness. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. They were eating all of the fruits of the garden and whatever was supplied there. Jesus is hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will watch over you. And then last one he says, it says that the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. That tells you a little bit about the kind of power and authority that Satan still has that he can actually display all the kingdoms of the world before Jesus. And what is Satan tempted by saying? Just fall down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He could have said, hey, that's an easy path. I'll take that rather than take the cross. I'll take the blessings rather than the punishment from the wrath of God for the sins of his people if you can give me all the kingdoms of the world. No. Rather, he says, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. 
And in one of the Gospels, it says Satan left him for a season. I don't think that Jesus at that point was satanically freed from his crafty ways upon him because he faces other kinds of temptations, if you will, by the devil. When Peter says, after Jesus describes that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, what does Peter say? Let it be far from you. The Lord turned to him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you don't save the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You're an offense to me. Somehow Satan was using Peter at that moment to make a suggestion like he did in the beginning. I'll show you all these kingdoms. Just fall down and worship me. Peter is saying, Lord, you don't need to be going to the cross. You don't need to die. You don't need to be turned over to the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Get thee behind me, Satan. They wanted to make Jesus a king on one occasion. He refused it. He could become an instant king because of all the miracles that he could have fl- he could have flashed before oodles of, of Judeans and Galatian, the Galileans. He could have made a big name for himself. He could have been crowned king. He could have overthrown the Romans and could have established a kingdom that Israel, many of them, were looking for. Now, how about when he was on the cross? He was challenged by the mob and says, if he's the son of God, let him come down from the cross. The scribes and and, uh, lawyers said, yeah, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. And it says, and the thieves said the same thing. There's again a last temptation. If he would just come down from the cross, we would believe in him. If he's truly the son of God and has these powers, let him display it right at this moment. Jesus hung there in agony, paying a penalty for the sins of his people. In Gethsemane, which is where actually Spurgeon thinks that Satan did return, when it says about Satan from, from the wilderness when Jesus was tempted that he went for a season, Spurgeon seems to think that Satan came back at Gethsemane. And Jesus was then at that point being influenced, I should say influenced, affected, or being pursued by the devil who wanted him to go another route. And I don't want to say that that, that Satan put the words in Jesus' mouth, take this cup away from me. I would say that the agonies of what was ahead for Christ Satan may have been taking advantage of. We don't know that, and I'm not trying to hang my, my, my hat on that particular perspective. I just want to make, make a point that it says in Scripture that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. He was impeccable, perfect. He was absolutely tested, tried, and tempted, just like you and me. And that's what it says here. The tempter would tempt you and our labor would be in vain. Satan tried to do the same thing to Christ so that his upcoming labor would be in vain and wouldn't be fruitful and wouldn't bring about the desired results. You know, this Sunday is, a, is the uh, coming of Christ into Jerusalem, right? The triumphant entry as it's called. And the crowd was there as he mounts the, the, the colt and he comes into the city. Where is he going? He's going right into Jerusalem. He's going into the heart of hatred 
when he goes to Jerusalem. He wasn't going to be received in a friendly fashion. Not at all. There were some that met him en route. That's not how it was by the bigger picture of others who didn't feel like that. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, which means save now. Wouldn't have been, again, another temptation. Save now. Here's the king. And they threw their clothing down and their, 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 their uh, palm, the palms and whatever they, they, the plants that they threw on the ground to pave the way for a kingly entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus was going really into the slaughterhouse, if I can put it that way. He was the lamb now being led to the slaughter. He was going to the place where this is the finality of his life's ministry here in this world, he was going to be crucified. He knew the details in advance. He set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, and there's no turning back. And you know why? Because he loved you and me. He loved us, he loved his people, and he would not flinch. He was going to accomplish that which he was destined to do. For this cause, the Son of Man has come into the world. For this purpose... He says, now is my soul troubled. But nevertheless, he went all the way to Calvary. So brothers and sisters, when the tempter tempts you, we should be praying, and and it should be a part of our daily prayer. Lead us not into temptation. He is called a crafty creature. We're told to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the what? The wiles. He's a wily character, the wiles of the devil. Without the armor, we are vulnerable. We are susceptible to falling. And and the laboring of the gospel with us would be in vain. We would be, as believers, made shipwreck. That's what I think it means for the labor to be in vain. When we make shipwreck of our faith. That's why Paul described his journey, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. How does he finish the course? Because he had to fight all the way. It is battleground territory when you get saved. We're on a rough road, but we've got one who can carry us through it. And we can bear it because of the power of Christ as our merciful and faithful high priest who cares for us and understands everything that we go through in this world. And we can come out of it with comfort, with strengthening and with a blessed assurance. It makes our love for Jesus richer and deeper because what he went through, you and I, in measure, never to the degree of his, in measure we go through as well. All right, let's now turn in our hymnals to number, help me out there. There we go, number 203. And can it be that I should gain 